You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. today. I'm really excited. Like Pastor Ruth said, I was eight and a half months pregnant last time I preached, so I made a joke about being like the sweatiest speaker at reality um, because it was so hot. So I'm, I'm glad it's cool now. Oh, this is going to fall. I'm going to mess with this the whole time. Um, and Nova, our baby, has been a joy. Motherhood is really awesome and amazing and really hard. <laughs> and then also really awesome and amazing. She's, she's so joyful. It's really fun. Um, She's been um, getting over a cold, though, the last couple of weeks, so she's healthy today, thank goodness. But, um, man, when you have a sick baby, it's just like you don't sleep the nights and, you, and the days are really long and stuff. But even through that, she's so joyful. It's, it's really um, cute. She just started um, to laugh, too. So that's, like, the best thing in my heart right now, like, making her laugh. It's like all my smile muscles hurt because of her um, laughing. But, um, but she's also really fun to um, make fun of as well. And I can do this now because she's little. Uh, actually, I probably will do this all throughout her life. But um, she has the most bowel movements of any child I've ever heard of, ever, ever. And um, Daddy and I have a joke now that like, she, her favorite thing to do is like to fill a diaper after we've just kind of changed her diaper. So after we change her diaper, we go, booty activated. And then we just wait because we're like, oh, hair's going to come. But, um, but we love her so much. She's totally incredible. Um, but let's uh, get into today. I hope that uh, today when we hear the word of God, that we are hungry for the more of God and what, this, um, what God specifically has for you today. That's kind of my heart. And um, I'm really excited to share with you because I feel like the Lord has been totally wrecking me with a couple of these verses and just ministering to my heart. So I really hope it ministers to um, your heart as well. But I'm going to actually pray before we um, read today. So, Father, thank you for being so, so good. Thank you for allowing us to gather here and to embrace who you are as God, to learn more about who we are as your kids, and to just sit at your feet. Father, I pray that today we would have soft hearts, that we would hear the word of you the word of your son, the word that is truth, and that our hearts would be pierced, that our hearts would be moved to truth, that we would live differently, that it wouldn't just be about something that sounds good, but it would be about a walk of faith, that we would live that life of practicing the way of Jesus. Amen. Alrighty, so today we are in James, James 4, 7 through 17. As you know, this has been um, a part of a series, and so this is our specific um, section that we're going through. The title of the sermon is Character, Conviction, and Communion. And so hopefully those are kind of three themes that you'll see kind of wound um, up in the sermon that you'll be kind of um, able to come back to and um, remember. This is the NIV version. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. 
Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone that knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So there's some verses there. I, are we good or feedback? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, we're going to change. Hello, hello. Alrighty. So James is talked about as this pastor right? And he's preaching to these different churches. And the Bible Project does a really awesome job of kind of giving you this, um, uh, this quippy little um, briefing of the whole chapters of James. And in it, they talk about James being a profound punch to the gut of challenging wisdom speeches. And it really feels like that. Um, there's a lot of one-liners. There's a lot of um, ways that you could take this. So in preparing for this uh, sermon, I really struggled because I'm I'm a teacher by trade, so I'm like, oh, we have to address this. Okay, well, we have to address this. So we have to, and then, you know, like 85 slides later, I'm like, hey, Riz, uh, <laughs> I've created another series. <laughs> but we have to change that, right? And we only have about 30 minutes. Um, so in doing that, um, there's an invitation today that I'm really excited about, though, um, sharing with you in how God wants to move us and through that. And so I want to bring up... Uh, the Avengers. <laughs> okay, so I have a story for you. Um, this is 2019. Avenger, any Avengers fans out here, by the way? Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So Avengers Endgame. I think it was like one of the highest grossing films of like all history, by the way. But um, anyways, it's kind of like the Marvel movie to end them all. And then Marvel's like JK, he's like 80 more films. But anyways, Endgame, right? The last one ended on this crazy cliffhanger, right? So if we're talking about plot structure, can't help myself because English, um, you have this exposition, right? The beginning, then you have the rising action, the climax, and then you have like the falling action and then the resolution. Every Marvel film is like, climax, okay, uh, okay, climax, okay, okay. And so the whole time you're like, uh, uh, uh. Right? But anyways, 2019. Too much backstory. Uh, I am seeing this movie with Daddy. We're engaged at that point. And right before uh, the movie starts, he like leans over and he's like going to whisper. And I'm like, oh, what's he going to say? You know? He's like, should I have seen the last movie? <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, uh, uh, yeah. Uh. He's like, what happened? And I'm like, blah, blah, blah. I can't explain it to you right now, right? So then I'm like, oh man, this is gonna be a rough three hours, Daddy. I am sorry, brother man. I will explain everything after the movie. Like, you know, sorry, brother. But um, anyways, we're talking about character development. And in this film, there are so many characters, right? There's like films and films and films and films and films that lead up to this point. So we're talking about the first verse. Submit yourselves unto God. This God 
is built up in James, obviously it's throughout the whole Bible and the New Testament, but built up in James specifically, and that is what I want us to focus on today, the first kind of seed of character. And you have this at your table, or uh, some of you have this at your table, and we're going to be talking about these specific verses that are in James that have led up to this character development of who God is. So if you are at a table and there's like not many, you can just like pull out your iPhone, take a picture, and save that bad boy for later. But Inevitably, when we talk about character development, we're talking about building the significance of who this God is and understanding the last then, right? So the submit yourselves then, that's like what came before. What came before that verse is talking about God opposing the proud but giving grace to the humble. And Abby did a fabulous job of talking about covetedness and contentness and kind of all that happened then as well. So that's the then that we're getting into. But these are the specific elements that we're going to talk about of the who is the character of God. So... This, all those parentheses are where in James, where we're kind of going back and quoting, and then where there's also, we're going forward and uh, recognizing kind of the who God is according to James and his character. So we're building this backstory of God's character, right? So who is the father that gave us new birth through his son as part of the first fruits of his creation? Now, Asbury Bible Commentary also notes that it must be affirmed that God's movements towards humankind can only be good and right. Although the celestial lights fluctuate in in brightness, the Creator Father is unwavering in His benevolence. He is unrelenting in His determination to achieve His purpose in creation. So His design, recently revealed, involved Him birthing a new creation. This is His first fruits, Exhibit A, that's us, in the whole realm of creation. And additionally, another commenter points out that the first fruits was not merely of that which was first in order, but that which was first in honor. And so right then and there, we're understanding this character of God building us as part of his creation of the first fruits, where he's giving us a place of honor and inheritance. That's who he is as our Father God. The Father of every good and perfect gift, whose being does not change or fade. The one who gives generously, this is all through James, the one who offers the crown of life as a promise to those that love him, the one who does not tempt you with evil, but uses the trials you go through to produce perseverance and wisdom. Continuing that, the one who desires a life lived in truth and freedom. Why? Because John 8.32 says, then you will know the truth. The truth has a name. It's Jesus. And the truth will set you free. The one who defines pure and faultless religion as looking after the most vulnerable and protecting oneself from lies that corrupt the heart and mind. That is pretty incredible. One that defines religion. And my kind of understanding of life, a lot of times I like to say like, oh, it's not about religion, it's about relationship with Jesus, which is so true. But if you look at how Jesus defines religion, it's actually being able to look after the most vulnerable and protect oneself from being corrupted by the world. That is a pretty amazing definition. Moving on from there. The one who chooses the poor and makes them rich in faith and promises an inheritance in his kingdom to those that love him. The one who has made man in his likeness, the one whose wisdom is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, the one who is an enemy of that which corrupts and tempts us to sin, 
Last one, the one who opposes the arrogant but gives grace to the humble. So when you know the God that you are submitting to, there's this communion that happens. There's this humility that happens. There's this understanding that when you read the first verse, which is submit then to God, um, I don't know about you, but I have this tendency sometimes to just read through the Bible. I'm like, la, 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 la. And I don't have these like stop moments of understanding who I'm submitting to or how I'm supposed to submit to God. And this to me is really key because these uh, ways of understanding God's character help us understand our character and help us understand how to position ourselves to encounter Father and to uh, dwell in who he is. So another story there, uh, I'm going to bring up Lion King. Any Lion King fans in the house? Oh, okay. Sorry, Lion King. Not many fans of the house. <laughs> People are like, oh, Avengers, oh, Lion King. But, uh, so let's talk about Lion King. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have kind of grown up with this. Uh, but there's this scene, right, where Simba, Mufasa is the king. Simba is uh, his son, obviously the prince. And um, Mufasa is killed by a stampede, and Simba thinks it's his fault, right? And then Scar is like, uh, he's like, Scar, what do I do? And then uh, Scar is like, leave and never come back, right, in his British accent or whatever. I don't know why he has a British accent in an African film. But anyways, um, he's like, leave and never come back. And then um, Simba's like, got it. And he leaves, right? And then he's all grown up now. And uh, Mufasa comes to him. And he says something pretty profound. Um, he says, you know, well, first of all, Simba obviously recognizes him. And he's like, oh, father, father. And he's like, Simba, you've forgotten me. And he's like, how could I forget you? Oh my gosh, no, I could never forget you. And he says, you have forgotten me. You have forgotten who you are, so you have forgotten me. And there's a moment where I was watching a film like, because, oh, sorry there. Uh, in understanding who God is, that is how our identity is built up. And sometimes a lot of us are walking around like orphans. My dad talks about this kind of like an identity crisis where we live as orphans or we live kind of as the older brother in the, in the story of the prodigal son where we work and we toil and then we think we deserve certain things but we don't know how to ask good gifts of our father. We just work and we just work, right? Or we're an orphan and we live that way and we don't understand that we have a good, good father and that we are chosen as a child of God and that there's inheritance for us, right? And so all that to say, this kind of um, Lion King understanding is that uh, when we understand who Father God is, and likewise, when we understand that we are children of God, we understand how to read the Bible differently. And we also understand how that actually can minister and uh, be powerful to us. So, next slide there, how our identity is defined and wound up, really, in this understanding of who God is, right? So we are children of a Father. This is um, James again, that kind of bullet point that you have in a different way where you can see that uh, the children of God are defined by the Father, right? So we are children of the Father of um, unwavering in his benevolence and unrelenting in his determination to achieve his purpose and making you the cream of the crop of his creation and giving you a place of honor. We are children of the Father of every good and perfect gift whose being does not change or fade. We are children of a father who offers the crown of life as a purpose to those that love him, and we are made in his likeness. This, ladies and gentlemen, is 
what Jesus did when he died on the cross to give us access to. And sometimes I forget that. I live my life like, wow, I'm struggling. I'm doing this one or I'm just gonna read a book or I'm just gonna go for a run, which are all very good things. But I forget that there's access and power as children of God. And proclaiming this and declaring this, if you know me, you know I like to declare things, but um, using these scripture points as truth in your life, for me personally, has been um, really life-changing. And so that's why I wanted you to kind of leave this way. When you feel lonely, when you feel fearful, when you feel like you are not enough, using this to resist the devil is huge. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit um, as we go through. But... As we go through kind of the next um, part of the sermon, I want to talk about um, a little bit here and there, but we're not going to go super um, into the kind of nitty gritties. And we're going to talk about kind of why there. But James, uh, continuing James, says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So again, we see that humility that kind of um, refers back to verse 6. But in reading this, it's kind of a hard passage, right? If you're just kind of taking this out of context, and you're just like, thus saith the Lord, you know, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. It's not it's not really popular. Um, but inevitably, I really feel like the conviction of the Lord, the personhood of God, when you understand the personhood of God, you understand the role of conviction as a follower of Jesus. And you understand how it's supposed to be in that role in your life and how it leads you to the truth, right? But a lot of us don't approach conviction that way because it kind of has a... Um, a negative connotation. So I'm going to share a little bit of a, a backstory, right? So in Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, right, the disciples and um, people are in the upper room, right? They are praying for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit comes. There's tongues of fire. It's pretty crazy. Um, they're speaking in all different languages. They come down to the streets and start speaking in all these different languages, and it's like this metropolis, right? So they're speaking in all these different languages, and people are like, how are they able to do this? These are Galileans, right? And then some people are like, yo, those people are drunk. And then Peter's like, no, 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 we're not drunk. This is the gospel. And then he shares kind of who Jesus Christ is, and uh, what he did on the cross, and what he did to save us. And really, it's a really, really powerful passage. You definitely should read it. But I have just verse uh, 32 and 33 here, where this is Peter speaking. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, and exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. And this is 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is what I believe conviction does in our life. It cuts us to the heart. That verb there, that word, cut to the heart, um, speaks to a piercing thoroughly. That when God speaks to you and it's truth and it pierces thoroughly, it's meant to change. And you know, they're like, brothers, what should we do? It's meant to produce change. And then uh, Peter says, you know, repent and be baptized. And then there's like 3,000 people that are added to their number or that became um, Christ followers that day. On the other hand, we have this understanding of sometimes when we hear conviction, we feel condemnation. And I think there's a really interesting distinction there. So condemnation is 
often talked about, um, I like to talk about being shame and judgment based. So there's an example where the religious leaders of the day, the uh, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they come, right, and this is um, in John 8, and they, with their religious spirit, are trying to pin this woman, right, with judgment to the law. And they're like, hey, Jesus, and they're also trying to throw a trap for Jesus, right? But they're like, hey, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say, right? And then there's this really kind of interesting moment, obviously, where Jesus kind of bends down the ground and is talking. But that moment there is when condemnation is going like, you are identified as a sinner and like, that's it. You're not saved. There's no hope. There's this understanding of you being without um, a way kind of to um, be released, right? However, God's response in the Bible is just incredible, right? So however, Jesus says this, which um, I just absolutely love. But he says, right, like, hey, woman, where are they? Right, because everyone walks away after um, he tells them, let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw the stone. And the whole crowd's like, well, I guess that's not me. And then they all leave, right? And so he says, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So Jesus steps in between what we deserve in our judgment, right? And that is the understanding of um, what happens when uh, Jesus is in the picture, right? So that's the kind of difference between condemnation and conviction. But I do want to kind of draw um, a distinction on the side because I think a lot of us in our background of being Christians, um, when you realize that um, you haven't maybe lived according to the truth or you realize that God is coming in your life and talking about specific changes that need to happen, some of us run and we hide. Um, if you remember Adam and Eve, when they sinned, shame entered the world and they hid from God, right? So sometimes our, our first response is to hide from God or just distract ourselves away from it or kind of like shuffle it under the table. But I'd like to encourage you, conviction that the Lord is calling us to, I believe, draws you to the truth. This conviction positions and cuts our hearts with the perfect law that gives freedom, reminds us of our purpose and design as lovers of Jesus and beloved children of a father that lavishes his love upon us. Versus condemnation, condemnation is one that accuses and sentences judgment, often keeps you far from God. It says you are not worthy, you've done too much, you yourself identify as a sinner, you are filthy, unwanted, and uh, uh are not good enough, right? Revelation 12, 2 talks about Satan being the accuser of the brethren day and night. So this is kind of the role of the devil in giving you lies as well, of like you are not good enough um, to receive truth. And if we go back to that understanding of Acts, you know, when they ask the brothers, what should we do once they understand who Jesus is? He says, repent and be baptized. So it's not that we just are, you know, sinning and then just saying in our lives like, oh, it's fine, by grace I live or whatever. It's that we repent, but that it's that conviction doesn't keep our identity as uh, sinners. We are children of God. And so with that, uh, I feel like the next couple uh, verses allow us to think about conviction with that understanding of who we are. Moving on to verse 13. 
Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you want to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So I'm going to get a little vulnerable with you. Uh, when I was reading this, um, the last couple of, I don't know, six, eight weeks or something, um, I felt the Lord convict me. And when I felt him convict me, it wasn't, again, like this thing of... Um, of judgment. It was a thing of like, wow, I, I need an upgrade in my life. And for me, I don't really associate with or identify with kind of understanding God as, or understanding myself as having um, arrogant schemes and boasting in arrogant schemes. But I did realize that I had my future um, built up in some people and some things and not in Jesus. Not like my whole future, but a lot of some key moments. And so for me, it was this moment where I was realizing that um, it's not necessarily boasting about tomorrow, but it is kind of setting my, all my ducks in a row and being like, sets the ducks in a row, and I'm like, God, bless the ducks, right? Versus seeking first the kingdom and saying like, God, what do you have for me in this life? And this understanding of will, can we go back to the previous slide? Thank you, Matt. Um, you know, if it is the Lord's will, we would do this or that. And that's often misunderstood as well. Like a lot of people say like, well, if it's the Lord's will, I'll be generous. I'm like, well, actually, God's already talked about that. And in Romans 12, 2, it says, you know, don't be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we're actually called to understand his will, and we're given power to understand his will. And yet, we need to understand that when we, when we go about life, it's not just being like, okay, well, I want to get a house. I want to do this. I want to do that. And all those things are good things, just like Abby talked about. Um, last week, but my understanding of where I was being convicted, specifically with finances and other things, was like, okay, I'm going to have this job, I'm going to make this money, I'm going to get this house, I'm going to have a baby, I'm going to do all these things, and then uh, we've been in a place where, just personally, um, like, Daddy and I both left our careers, um, he was a CT tech at Kaiser, and I was a teacher, and I um, left for the year, and he left to do day training and stuff, and now we're really trusting the Lord, and we're realizing, like, hey, we trusted the Lord before we said we did, but now that there's no plan B, you're like, oh, it's, it's really happening. So these uh, truths of God, I'm going to be talking about kind of how to um, claim that for your life, but I felt specifically when I was praying for this sermon of, God, what do you have for these people? I have such a heart for you to understand, one, like who God is, who you are, but also I feel like he specifically said, um, create space for a response to financial breakthrough. And just in my life personally, like this is not the end of the story where I'm like, hey guys, it was kind of like money was going thin, but we prayed and now we have gobs of money, right? That was our valley. No, we're still in the valley, um, but I feel like specifically there is a call to make space for God having a shift in financial breakthrough. And I have seen God do this so many times. It's incredible. But I feel like specifically he was saying, um, create space to do that. So we're going to create space to do that. And um, now we can go to the next slide. Thank you, Matt. But that was, 
how I was kind of convicted recently of this verse of realizing, wow, I put my my sense of happiness in some people and my world was a little bit shattered or I put my sense of security in having like this amount of money in the bank or at least like some understanding of how we were supposed to make enough money, right? Um, Because lucky we live Hawaii, but it is crazy expensive, right? So this understanding of like, okay, my sense of security cannot be in my own understanding of how to make money or my own skill set. Or my sense of security can't be in like, well, I have this amount of friends, so I'm loved, like it'll be okay. I have to rely on God. So it's this beautiful dependency where you are invited into understanding that God should be your source, right? So I'm going to give that call real quickly. So if you feel like you, <laughs> I feel like this is everywhere, like, do you want money? No, I'm not trying to say that, but I'm trying to say if you feel like God is, uh, you're wanting God to bring a shift in your finances for a financial breakthrough, can you um, uh, open your hands? I'm going to pray for you, and I'm standing in that as well, but I'm going to pray right now because I feel like God said create space. I'm going to do something incredible when it comes to finances. And I feel like some of us are like, <laughs> but um, it's not kind of like, yo, if you poor, stand up. But it's kind of just like, no, you know, what is God doing in your life? If you're like, God, I want my sense of security for the future to be in you, I want you to open up your hands. I'm going to pray for you. Because, yeah, I'm like this right now. All right, hey, God, we're creating space right now. You are God, and you are a good father. I just declare that this understanding of finances would be so solidly built in who you are as God, that this is not an understanding of God that gives just barely enough, but you are a God who gives more than enough. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are provider. You are the one who we want to put our sense of security in. So right now, we humble ourselves, saying, God, you are the one who our sense of security should come from. That understanding of hope, that understanding of the light that doesn't fade, that understanding that doesn't disappoint comes from you, God. So right now, Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this community. I thank you for what you're doing in my heart and my ability to trust you. And I ask, God, that you would shift people's finances, that our finances would reflect the finances of heaven, that our understanding of faith would reflect the faith of heaven, that our understanding of the future would reflect the future of your kingdom advancing, which is good. Thank you, God. Amen. Okay. Woo. Okay. So I'm excited to hear testimonies. Uh, I'm serious. I'm excited. I feel like there's going to be a shift. So Um, But in that shift, there's this understanding. When we did uh, Summer in the Psalms, we um, talked about Psalm 27, or 27, um, which says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord. And that, for me, has been kind of like a banner cry this last um, couple weeks of saying, like, I will trust in you, God. And this is the point where um, verse 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So I would love to give you some practical tips for resisting the devil. Because he's a liar and a schemer. Um, 
my biggest kind of understanding of how to resist the devil is to commune with God. And when you are connected to God, when you are connected to his heart, it's kind of like this understanding. Um, I feel like when I'm connected to God, like when I am fully worshiping, like this is the front of me, the back of me has like words, it's like, come at me, bro. Because the devil, it's like, you can't touch me. I am in the presence of the Most High. I am a child of God. And I love to remind the devil, too. I am a child of God. You have been defeated. My purpose is to crush you with my heel. You have not won, right? But there are real moments. So just let's just talk about postpartum. <laughs> real moments of like pain and just like, I mean, the lack of sleep. Sometimes you're like, my arms are falling off. My eyes are falling off. There's like, there's everything. Your whole body is like falling apart. There's this understanding of like, okay, I will trust in God, right? It's like everything, everything happens at once. But this understanding of how to resist the devil, um, I have been declaring this song, I Belong to Jesus. And I did this actually in the uh, operating room. I had a C-section with Novi and it was unplanned. So I was like, I've never had surgery before. It was pretty major surgery. And they said, you can make a playlist. So I was like, oh, my labor playlist is like all kind of like Jesus-y songs or whatnot um, that I had to kind of declare over myself. But this song is specifically that um, these words I love to declare when I feel fear. Talking about finance, like how are we going to pay for whatever puts on worship? Because it's worship shifts things as well. How are we going to understand our future? Or, you know, what about people moving away? What about um, things changing? What about our house situation? What about all these kind of things? Puts on worship. So this is one of my favorite songs to do that. But I just want to read these uh, words. And I want these lyrics just to kind of fall over you and allow you just to receive kind of who you are as God's kids and who God is as a really good father. You're my shepherd, you're my keeper, my provider, my protector. You surround me, you're in every step I take. I believe you're the goodness, you're the constant, you're the first, my first love and my future. You surround me, you're in every step I take. Oh, you're with me, Father, you're for me. Oh, fear will never conquer me, because I belong to Jesus. I'm never alone, I'm never abandoned. Oh, fear you'll never conquer me because I belong to Jesus. That is good news. Those are good lyrics. You can get excited, it's okay. Um, yeah, and in, in times of, it's not just kind of a fear with finances, it's just fears in general that I have. And there's moments where I just have to stand there and I kind of like do this with my fist. I'm like, because I will not be overcome or conquered by fear. And if you've ever suffered an anxiety attack, that is like the epitome of being like conquered and fear, fear like whirlwind. And yet there's moments where you have to remind yourself that you're not alone, that he is with you, he surrounds you, he's in every step you take because there's an illusion that feels like you are alone, but you have to come back to this truth. So that understanding of truth as outlined by the character of God is in those bullet points, right? But I would love if you would, in um, the second set of worship, to ask the Lord what fears are in your life that you can bring and lay at his feet. Because it's really vulnerable. You can be like, I have fears. But if you name them, then it's kind of really scary. You're like, oh, I have fears that we won't make enough money. 
And that makes me kind of, you know, anxious. I have fears when Nova was sick and she had um, a cold and she was really stuffy and she was having difficulty breathing. That's a really scary thing. And when you have a baby or, you know, I haven't experienced this, people have said it before, but then uh, you realize how much love you have for this child. It is scary love. You're like, oh my gosh, what if something happens to you, right? It's this understanding of like, I have to trust God with you. So this understanding of like, um, you know, all those things flashing of like, what if she can't breathe, those things, give that to Jesus. I have an understanding of like, what is my future that I planned is gone? What if I leave my career and I never get to kind of see the benefits of all that work that I did to get there? Give that to Jesus. So it's naming all those different fears, but you kind of have to let yourself get vulnerable before the God and say like, what fears are keeping me back from putting my sense of security in you, God? Because I don't know about you, but I tend to kind of like distract as a coping mechanism. I can be like, yeah, scary, but move on to the next thing. Or like, oh, it's kind of unsure, but I'm, I'm thinking this will be good. Or, you know, X, Y, Z, you put your hope in things other than Jesus. So understanding who God is, you understand that character and that definition of who you are as kids. And this becomes warfare. This is resisting the devil. Because you remind the devil, obviously, that one, he's powerless, but two, you are powerful. And a lot of us walk around like we're not really powerful, or I kind of feel that way. We walk around like, oh my gosh, I forgot. I have this inheritance that's insane. I have this power that is within me, and that the Spirit of God, the, the same one that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in me, right? Then, then you get all riled up, and I'm like, come at me, bro, devil. But in your life, I would love for you to feel powerful in your sense of humility, right? That when we humble ourselves before God and we say, I am fearful, like let's just talk about Monday through Friday. Uh, maybe not Friday, Friday is usually pretty good. Well, Monday through Thursday, right? Let's be real. I am fearful of these things and presenting that before God and then coming before him and declaring who he is and who you are and that understanding that he is with you and fear will never conquer you. That communing with God, I think, is our best defense against resisting the devil, because he's got to flee at that point. So that's what I have for you today. I would love if you would kind of take this, um, these declarations, really, this, these scriptures of where we've been, where we're going in James, and meditate on these. Allow the Lord to minister to you. Allow the devil to be resisted through you, and allow him to um, show you um, if you kind of held your hands out, um, how he wants to create a shift in your finances. All right, let's pray. God, thank you that we are never alone, that we are never abandoned. Thank you that we belong to Jesus. Thank you that you surround us and you're in every step we take. Thank you that you are a shepherd, you are a keeper, you are a provider, you are a protector, you surround us, you're in every step we take. Thank you that you are the goodness and you're the constant, you're our first love and our future. Father, right now we just pray that our hearts would be convicted by whatever you are doing in our life, that Holy Spirit is incredible at pruning us at allowing the truth, the truth whose name is Jesus, to transform us. Transform us and renew our minds so that we know your good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
I thank you that today there's an invitation to know you deeply, to know you on a, a truly incredible, meaningful communion level, that you are a real God and you're not just the God of Sundays, that where we feel kind of good and then where we can um, be alone in our suffering the rest of the week, but you are a God of every day, every moment, every step we take. So Father, I pray that this community here and everyone that touches this community and that they touch would be blessed by your truth. That the character of God, the conviction, and the communion helps us understand who we are as kids and what we have in your inheritance. Pray a blessing in Jesus' name.